Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hope each and every one of you had a wonderful Easter weekend. We welcome you, as always, to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10A to high noon Eastern time. Check us out on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports page. You can also watch us on Facebook, streaming there live on the Chatterbox Sports page. And the podcast is more your cup of tea. Check it out. Listen in whenever you so choose. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. At the Masters, where Paul Fritzner was on Friday. Casey, Paulie, good morning, man. How are you, Tom? Very well. You guys all right? Yeah, we're doing good. Yeah, fantastic. Everything's good. Casey, everything good? Yeah. Good. Okay. Look, I mean, Casey, it's just tired. What's it's a Monday? I mean, no enthusiasm, no life, no Come on, juice. Casey. Uh, I mean, FC won. Paul's bringing his A game, and you're like, oh, fine. <laughs> FC Cincinnati won. Am, what more I could you ask for excited. this weekend? I love Are you eating gummies in the morning? I mean, no. anything going on there? You all no. right? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm just – I'm ready for the day. I'm excited to talk a little bit about FC. I'm excited to talk. FC? Yeah. Who are you talking with that about? <laughs> <laughs> just to, to just discuss with them a little bit. I mean, they're like undefeated. getting on a group chat or. <laughs> well, uh, we'll get to it eventually. Uh, we I guess. will get to it. I promise we'll get to it. And we should. They've earned it. But let's start with the Masters. Weird four days, really, wasn't it? I mean, think about it. Weather dominated the entire tournament. You had basically more than. 18 holes being played by most of the players each and every day, including the final round. Yesterday, the physical toll forced Tiger Woods to bow out after the second round after he had made the cut. But when all was said and done, the big fella, John Rahm, stormed back from four down to beat Brooks Kepka. Kepka did not have a single birdie over a 19-hole run. And for Rami claims his first green jacket. You know, they make those right here in Cincinnati. Do you guys know that? No. Headlines makes those? No, not headlines. <laughs> but they make those green jackets right here in Cincinnati for the Masters. See? A little trivia for you there. Uh, for Rahm, it was his second major tournament. He beat Kepka by four, who finished in a second-place tie with Phil Mickelson. Did you watch him yesterday? Oh, my. Lefty matched his best round ever at Augusta. And remember, he's won it three times. He shot a 65. The 52-year-old had eight birdies in his final round. Rom this year has already made $13 million on the PGA Tour. He's about to break the all-time record set a year ago by Scott Scheffler. That's not the former Red. Scotty Scheffler. It's Scott Scheffler. <laughs> True. In baseball, the Reds capped off a rough weekend by rallying for three runs in the ninth inning yesterday to beat the Phillies 6-4. Jake Fraley drove in three runs. And the Reds' bullpen, which has had its ups and downs, we knew it would the early part of this year, fantastic yesterday. Five innings of one-hit shutout baseball for the win. Friday and Saturday, not so good for different reasons. Hunter Green... Look, I know it's two starts, and I know the whole angry mob crowd. Oh, man, small sample. So I'm telling you, this guy has been below average at best in each of his first two starts. He can't get through five innings without throwing 90, 100 pitches. 
And that second start came Friday night in the loss. Conversely, Nick Lodolo was unbelievable Saturday. Seven innings of shutout baseball. And then, unfortunately, Alexis Diaz blows a game in the ninth out of the bullpen. The Reds' road trip continues tonight with the first of three against the Atlanta Braves. Graham Ashcraft, who was great his first start. He'll get the ball for Cincinnati. Bryce Elder starts for Atlanta. We'll have Bob Nightingale Jr. coming up. He's with a team down in Atlanta from Cincinnati.com. That'll be at 11 o'clock today. The Braves started the year at 6-1, and one, but now they've dropped three in a row against San Diego. The Reds are two and a half back in the central behind the division-leading Brewers who just keep on rolling. Milwaukee's playing good baseball, but no one is playing baseball like the Tampa Bay Rays. 9-0 and on the year. Goose in the loss column, like FC Cincinnati. Difference is, though, when you look at the standings in baseball, it gives you wins, losses, no draws. <laughs> you look at the standings in the MLS, wins, draws, losses. But in the loss category, both with NUN none. The Rays have outscored their opponents so far this year, 75-18. to 18. They whip Oakland over the weekend, scoring 31 runs, allowing only five, and did not give up a single run in games on Saturday and Sunday. Unbelievable. This start for the Rays. All right, the NBA. The playoffs begin tomorrow night with play-in games, they call them. Now, what you need to know is simply this, okay? If you're not a big NBA guy, I'm not, but we're going to talk a lot about it during the playoffs. In fact, a lot about it today. But basically, what you need to know, six teams from each conference are in already. They take a total of eight. So the number seven team plays the number eight team in a play-in game, one game. The winner of that game is the seventh overall seed, Okay. The loser of that game plays the winner of the 9 versus 10 game to determine the final playoff spot in what would be the eighth seed in each conference. The Cleveland Cavaliers are the four seed in the East and will play the number five seed, New York Knicks, in round one beginning Saturday night. Cleveland, Ohio. That's where that one will be played, pal. Great city. Big league suburbs. It's got a stinky other franchise. but You mean the Cavaliers you were just talking about before the show? How no, good they are. No, how underrated I, I, they are. I like the Cavaliers, but they got a really stinky brother. The, really the stinky. Guardians? They make the playoffs every year. Well, they stink this year, don't they? They don't stink this year. They're six and four last time I checked. Oh, well, nobody shows up. There's, a, there's another well, Nobody team shows up, up, that's for sure. There's another team up north that just stinks. I don't think the Reds and the Indians, on most days when they play at home, I don't think the two teams would combine for 25,000 fans in the stands. Combined. Most games. Hmm. It's sad. The most puzzling story, though, in the NBA, and we're going to hear from Mac Engel, who's been a legendary sports columnist. He was with us earlier in the year talking about TCU uh, in the college football playoff. He joined us live from Phoenix before they beat Michigan. Uh, but he's all about all sports in Dallas-Fort Worth, okay? 
It's this plight of the Dallas Mavericks. Now, this team made the big deal for Kyrie Irving. They proceed to lose 25 of their next 32 games. Okay? But they still had a chance to make the playoffs going into this final weekend. But tanked. Tanked. As in shark tanked. (laughs) There's a tie here. In the final two games to keep its lottery pick chances alive, which, by the way, their odds of getting the number one pick are a whopping 3%. This was handed down by the owner, Mark Cuban, who everybody says he's all about winning. All about winning, doing whatever it takes to win. Now, in fairness, some of the players were nicked up, but they tanked, period, end. And we're going to talk to Mac Engel about that a little bit later on. In football, the Baltimore Ravens made their boldest move of an otherwise quiet offseason, signing Odell Beckham Jr. to a one-year $15 million contract. It's 18 overall, $15 million guaranteed, right? Alan Lazard was the only other free agent wide receiver to get at least $11 million. That's what Lazard got, leaving the Packers to go to the Jets. But that was $11 million guaranteed on a four-year deal. Beckham did not play a single snap all of last year after tearing his ACL in the Super Bowl against the Bengals the year before. And in soccer, here you go, Casey. Tell me all about FC Cincinnati. They're the best team in the MLS. As it stands right now. They are. They're undefeated. Undefeated. Again, let's go by the standings. The table. standings. The table. Table. Pardon me. Table. They are 5-2-0. Now, most of you might think even hockey gives you wins, losses, ties. They're 5-2-0. That's five wins, two draws, and no losses. They beat Philadelphia in a rematch of that Eastern Conference semifinal from last year, one nothing, another shutout. The fifth on the year by FC Cincinnati. Next up, St. Louis on the road Saturday. St. Louis, any good? St. Louis is, uh, they're a new franchise this year. Um, it's a good soccer town, great youth soccer new, town. New to the MLS. New to the MLS. New to the MLS. Just, yeah, new to the MLS. And they started off hot. Um, they were 5-0, and I think, and then they've lost the last two weeks. Um I've actually got the, them pulled up right now. They lost to Minnesota. They lost to Seattle Sounders, which Seattle is a pretty good measuring stick. Um, that's a really good um, football club. Um, I, w- I was going to say team, but I, I stopped myself. Uh, yeah, I think St. Louis is a pretty good up-and-coming team. Um, they started off really hot the start of the season, like I said. Um, they were very good good on offense that's the one thing that i would really be stressing about if i was an fc fan is that this team can score they can score a lot last two games they haven't scored any they've hung two zeros but fc as of late what we thought was a strength in their offense has not really turned out that way they've been really good just statistically speaking not on the play but they've had five clean sheets and I don't know if anyone knows what that means, but they've hung five zeros. Clean sheet is a yeah. shutout. 
It's a shutout. So clean. That's the jargon. It's a clean sheet. That's clean a shutout. Clean sheet. I like that. Yeah. Now that's one of the things I do. I mean, you know, I, I'm being told, you know, by um, who says it in here. Um, the for, uh, the player formerly known as Mouse Cop says the standing shtick is tired. Get used to it. It's never going away. <laughs> it's never going away. Never going away. Nope. But, but anyway, continue, please. Forgive me for interrupting. But, yeah, I mean, this team is – it's definitely different than it was last year, at least if you've watched them. Um, they have just not been as offensively um, dominant as they were before. I think they've just managed to kind of squeak by a lot of these teams. But when it mattered, I mean, I, I think Philadelphia is a pretty good team. They, they beat them. Uh, they, they beat Nashville. I thought they are a pretty good team. They beat Seattle Sounders, even with a, a red card. Um, they, they have proven that they're a good club. I, I'm just not sure if they're going to – they're going to be tested this time because this is a team that's very offensively present and prevalent in the league right now as any team. So their new found defense is going to be tested. The offense – better pick up some of the slack. Well, and, and I'm, and, and I mean, I know we kid around a lot about it, but, but, but you get the feeling that the offense will find a way to, to, to get things going. I tell you what, I'll take my chances all day, every day, man, having a great defense. Right. In that sport. You don't give up goals, man. Yeah. Park the bus. I mean, they play, yeah, no doubt. I mean, they played seven games. They have five shutouts. They've allowed 14 goals. Do they still call them goals? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. They've allowed 14 goals the entire year, I think. No, four goals the four entire goals. year. Last yeah. year, it was 14 at this time. This year, it's four in seven games. So there's a reason why FC Cincinnati is not lost. I mean, yeah, you got to score. You can't win if you don't score. But, man, that defense is unbelievable. Now, coming up on the show today, we have uh, James Rapine in a matter of minutes. Our good buddy, Zim Hooday, is saying the Bengals have already signed T. Higgins. Yeah, I, I'm very interested to, to see that um, actually be announced. I don't think they will, though. Just you think from a, a logical standpoint, they don't want to announce the, the receiver being signed before the franchise quarterback. And um, I don't know if maybe that this was a uh, – idea that Joe had that he wants T to get his deal done first before making a, a you know signing on the dotted line to maybe structure the deal in a certain way or to make it more team friendly I don't I don't know any of those details but I'm excited if it is true I'm excited that we signed T Higgins because I think you know that just shows that we're committed to keeping the core and that's that's important all right, well, let's find guys. out from the man himself. I mean, he's all Bengals all the time. James Rapine, a belated happy Easter. Did the Easter Bunny um, <laughs> come to your house? You had to, right? Of course, absolutely. You know, and maybe not as much candy or eggs as there will be next year when she can run around and, and do all of those things. But, yeah, it was a fun Easter for sure. Well, it's a very different Easter when they get into college and or late in high school. I can assure you that. The Easter Bunny was always in a very good mood in the younger days. Now, uh, hit or miss when they get to be 20 and 18, brother. Well, let me tell you, hit or miss. All right, let's get we'll right to it. We'll slow time down, so hopefully yeah. we <laughs> – Right, you got a lot of time. Um, 
I mean, look, Zim Houday, we have him on the show all the time. You know who he is. Yeah. Uh, he does yeah. have, you know, some personal relationships with some players. You do, too. I mean, the whole nine yards. Is there any mm-hmm. reason to believe the Bengals have already signed T. Higgins to a long-term contract? Well, signed as in pen to paper, there's zero chance. Okay. And I'm not, dis- and I'm not dismissing Zim. No, so I know you're not. I know. When that part happens, they will announce it, and they'll throw the parade on social media because they should, right? That said, I don't think Zim is just making things up. I, I've known Zim for a long time before probably most of his, his followers know him as Zim Houdet. And so, yeah, I mean, it's probably coming from somewhere. I haven't heard that, right? And, and so who knows? Now, have they agreed or are they close to agreeing? It, you know, it, it sounded like he thinks that they, you know, that it's done. I think it were the, the words he tweeted. So if it's done, what an Easter present for the Bengals and, and Bengals fans. And I haven't heard anything, so credit the Zim if that's the case. But, uh, you know, it's certainly a priority for the Bengals to extend T. Higgins. And so if they were able to get it done and negotiate a deal with David Mulligetta, his agent, who also represents Jesse Bates, mm-hmm. and we know how that went, then I think this would be a huge win for the franchise, huge win for, for T. and the Bengals. And, I mean, I think it's safe to say you know the guy. I don't. I think it's fair to say uh, that Higgins wants to be here. I, 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 uh, well, let's start with that. You agree with that? Agreed. Okay. Well, you know, I only bring yeah. that up because I think it speaks volumes to his unselfishness. And I think it speaks volumes really about um, the whole cast of characters they have down there from, you know, from, from, from the quarterback to Chase to Higgins to the entire offense and really Zach Taylor and everybody else that, you know, uh, and Brian Billick has been on this show saying many, many, many times, you know, he was there when that Minnesota team had Randy Moss and Chris Carter and Jake Reed and you know, Robert Smith. And you have to have guys yeah. who are on board with not feeling like they have to be the guy because Higgins knows there will be games where he's the guy, but Chase will have games where he's the guy, but everybody seems to be okay with it. Yeah, I think that's that's the balance. And so if you're the Bengals, you need to be able to, in this contract, make Higgins feel like the guy, even though you know there are going to be games where he's going to take a backseat. And who knows what happens in the draft? That might even go farther if they take a first-round tight end, right? Or if they take one of these explosive running backs where T. Higgins is still a huge part of what you're doing. But there are weeks, there are games where he's not – catching eight passes and getting 12 targets or 14 targets. And he, he is, he's smart because all of these guys, they're like-minded in the sense that it's team first and they came up in winning programs and cultures. And so they want to win and they're not me, 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 even though receivers in general, that's the stigma that comes with them. I don't think that these guys are, of course they have an ego and they think they're the best, which is why the contract better treat him that way, right? Whatever mm-hmm. the, the contract ends up being, he needs to feel like the man. At the same time, I, I know he is a team first player. And that's another reason why if you're the Bengals, you would want to invest in, in the T Higgins is because I don't think he's going to be disruptive after his deal. I don't think the money would change him. I don't think any of those things would happen. And so he's a homegrown talent. You brought him in. He came into the league, was really good. He's gotten better and better each year. Why not invest in a guy like that? I think it's a no-brainer. Okay, um, let's shift gears here now to Mixon. I'm sure you've been talking about this ad nauseum, okay? Mm-hmm. Let me start by 
saying, and again, I'm going to ask if you agree or disagree. I, I, I think it also can be said the same thing holds true for Mixon of what we just talked about with Higgins. I think he likes it here. I think he wants to stay here. I think he is a team-first guy and has proven that in the locker room uh, during his entire tenure here with the team. Agree or disagree? Agreed. Okay. All right. So we agree on that. But yeah, now that. things get a little more complicated. Okay? Yes. I'm throwing out the thing besides just, you know, um, who are you hanging with? What are they doing at your house? You know, what's going on with hangers on, if there is that kind of thing, whether they be family or friends. The thing at his house in Anderson Township, I'm throwing out the window because he wasn't there. At the end of the day, he wasn't part of it. Okay, fine. And maybe he can't throw it out. I don't know. But now all of a sudden, uh, this situation uh, that occurred with the gun and the woman, uh, they, they, they said all along, they being the police, that we're going to keep this open to the possibility of charges could come later. Well, now they're here. Um, at the end of the day, where do you think, as we sit here this morning, where do you think the Bengals brass sits on their thinking with Mixon? Well, I, I think that his days of making double-digit millions as a member of the Cincinnati Bengals are numbered. Now, it doesn't mean his days as a Bengal are numbered. I think there's a path where maybe they get the, the draft falls to them and they don't get one of these top running backs or their top targets. Day one, day two guys, right? And you're talking fourth, fifth, sixth round now, and they only get a, one running back. Well, I could see the scenario where the Bengals are like, all right, let's get him to take somewhat of a pay cut, bring him back. He can still be valuable. And he is. He, he can be valuable, and he's still a productive player. But you mentioned the Anderson Township incident. Obviously, what happened on January 21st in the alleged incident, now charges refiled. It's two things. R regardless, Joe Mixon has been in the news for the wrong reasons this offseason. Yep. The front office does not like that. The organization doesn't like that. Regardless if it's hangers on, regardless of what it is, it's, it's easy to say that because I know it's true. It, you, you can't look at that stuff and smile if you're Duke Tobin or, or Mike Brown or the Blackburns or whoever you want to talk about. So to me, if he's not willing to take a pay cut, it's hard for me to envision. And it's not like you can just renegotiate his deal uh, or you can renegotiate it. You can't restructure it. It's just the way it's structured. It, it doesn't make sense. So if he's not willing to essentially tear up the old contract and take a new one and essentially take a pay cut, I don't really see the path to him returning. And I think that's the position he's in, whether it is the, the off the field, not necessarily concerns because you're right. He's been so good off the field since they drafted him. And, and so I, I don't know if they're necessarily concerned that he's gonna, going to get in trouble all the time. But being in the news for the wrong reasons, uh, the, the value of the position versus what you're paying versus what you're getting, the clear examples now of the coaching staff not trusting him in big games mm -hmm. to give him the most snaps, the fact that they wanted some IJP Ryan back, I think all of those things point to either pay cut or eventual release after the draft. And, I expect the Bengals to seriously prioritize running back as early as 28, as early as that first round pick. It certainly could be in play in the draft later this month. 
Well, by that comment, you've almost answered the next question I had for you, which we debated on this program on Off the Bench last week, where I continue mm-hmm. to ask James the question, a very simple question. Are the Bengals better today than they were at the end of the last season? Now, they've addressed the offensive line with Orlando Brown Jr. I mean, no debate about that. Okay, but then mm-hmm. you start getting into different areas. And let's focus here for a second on the running back position. I claim, now Mixon's still on the roster, but if for some reason he ends up not being on the roster, okay, you've all of a sudden gone from having P. Ryan and Mixon, veterans, <laughs> valuable, solid guys, to having basically nobody who's had any playing time whatsoever, including a potential 28th pick in the draft if you move on for Mixon. Do, do you think his season last year was more a result of a bad offensive line or his skills are declining? I think it's a mixture of both, but Joe Mixon's always had a bad offensive line. The Bengals' offensive line has stunk or been just bad or slightly below average, you know, if you want to look at last year before they dealt with those injuries, or average, because I think they got to an average level mm-hmm. at times last year, but at the start of the season, right, they, they were bad and they were figuring it out. He's played through that and been able to be productive and flashed. And the days of, man, they just don't use him enough in the passing game. And Mixon's just, he doesn't have enough holes to run through and he has to cut the moment he gets handed the ball. I remember saying all of those things. I don't feel like that was the case last year. And he had what I thought was his, his worst year as a runner. Now, as a pass catcher, he was exactly what the Bengals needed. You know, he was a, a check down, reliable option for Joe Burrow. And he's been able to build that chemistry. He's still a good player. And, and that's the part of it. It's, it's not like he's awful and dropped off a cliff and can't play anymore. But the production is tailing off. It isn't elite production anymore. And when you look at him versus what his replacements could cost and give you, I think it's easy to see a scenario where you could you could fill that void. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's a an interesting dilemma for the Bengals. And I get the experience part of it. But I also think that there are veterans out there that you could bring in to, to ease that pain a bit if you're worried about not having a veteran presence in that running back room. And we're getting closer to June 1. So they could wait until after the draft and do a June 1, uh, a post-June 1 cut for Mixon and save over $10 million against the cap. It would take a little bit of a hit next year, but that would free up a lot of money for Higgins' extension, Burroughs' extension, uh, or Burroughs' extension, um, Logan Wilson's potential extension. I mean, heck, they could roll that money over and use it next year. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they could use it. And so that's why I think a pay cut, if he's going to be on the roster, is inevitable because this front office, I just see them asking that. Or maybe not. Maybe they do that post-June 1 and move on after the draft if they're able to land a replacement. All right, but it would seem to me, James, and you tell me if you see it the same way, It would seem to me, if I were the Bengals and I were running the Bengals and knowing you've got the draft coming up here in about a week and a half, right? It seems Mm -hmm. to me that you would be having conversations already with Mixon, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't, I don't know. But I'd be having conversations with his agent before I get to this draft to say, hey, look, uh, we're not going to pay you 
what you know, ten million dollars this year. We're willing to make that. You know, how about you know a two-year deal for five million a year, build in some incentives, whatever it might be, right? And then you know that you have a guy who's been a very good, sometimes great player for this team that's on your roster, and you don't have to go in the first or second round for a running back. You can address other needs that the team has. Do you think that 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 might be what's going on or potentially what could go on before the draft with Mixon? It could. It's just the the problem with this is, and I don't blame Joe. I would feel the same way. Your employer comes to you and says, hey, take a pay cut. Well, that's, that's a tough ask for anybody. And you mentioned it. He's set to make around $10 bucks this year. So you, you want to divide that over the next two years? He probably would say no. Okay. And so, so what's the middle ground here? Is it an incentive-based deal where it's $6 million and he can reach, if he hits his incentives, he can get to that $10 million mark and make up the money, the difference, and it just saves them on the cap end because they're uh, – hard to get incentives essentially, or um, just kind of those incentives don't necessarily count against the cap. Anyway, without getting into the weeds there, I don't know. I I think that they're going to wait until after the draft to do that. And the blueprint, and I kept bringing it up, and I've brought this up a lot this offseason, it's Andy Dalton. The whole world knew Joe Burrow was going to be the first pick, and the Bengals still waited and kept Andy Dalton on the roster, and then they released him and saved $17 million in cap or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I I just think that's how they're viewing it here. But once you go down the road of pay cut, I don't think you can return. I don't think you can say, all right, Joe, take a pay cut. We're not paying you this. Oh, fine. We'll we'll pay you this anyway. So I think they want that replacement in place. Maybe that's a veteran free agent as well and a a back. Maybe it's two backs in the draft. And it doesn't have to be a back at 28. I think this is a, a deep running back class. And even if Joe Mixon was on the roster, you would want to address it in this draft because there are a lot of guys that can do what Mixon didn't do last year, explosive runs, Mm -hmm. break tackles at the second level, and and really open up the offense a bit. So I think regardless, they'll draft at least one. Do they want to keep Mixon on the roster or not? I think they know whether or not they're going to ask him to take a pay cut or if they're going to move on, but I'm not sure we're going to have that answer until after the draft. All right, last thing, uh, last two things I want to ask you about. Where do you think this whole Jonah Williams thing ends up? I mean, you know, there are multiple (laughs) scenarios here, right? He comes back to the team. He agrees to move to right tackle. He decides he's not going to move to right tackle. I guess theoretically he could sit out. Number three option, you trade him. What do you think? This is as draft dependent as more so than Mixon. Honestly, because I, I can find there are still veterans out there where you could get and, and rely on them to be a, a decent running back this year. There aren't veterans like Jonah Williams that you could just go out and get to play left tackle in my eyes. I think he would be the best available left tackle. But does a team want to trade for a left tackle that's undersized coming off of his worst year? and guaranteed $12.6 million. And that's the part of this. He's guaranteed that money. It's not just, uh, you know, the, the cap hit and he's making less or you can renegotiate or you could extend him. And based on his age, it would make sense if he was coming off of a career best year. But I just don't think he has a ton of value. So if he doesn't have a ton of value, the Bengals likely 
view him or value him more than the rest of the league because they view him as their starting right tackle today. I know they said there's going to be a competition. That sounds good. I think Jonah Williams would win that assuming he's healthy. So they view him as their starting right tackle. After pick 28, if Darnell Wright happens to fall, I don't think he will. But the kid out of Tennessee, I think he's a plug-and-play right tackle. Yep. I think the value then changes. If I know a lot of people say Dewan Jones. I'm not even sure he's in play at 28. But if he falls to 60 because he didn't test, and he has a similar profile to Orlando Brown Jr., by the way, who went in round three, could you take him at 60 and feel comfortable starting him at right tackle? Maybe. So I think there are some options. Anton Harrison would be another one out of Oklahoma at, at 28. But if you don't get a tackle in the first round or two, I think that's it. I think the Bengals will go with Jonah. They're not going to look at some of the veteran options in free agency and say, we trust them more because of their flaw. There's a reason they're still available. Jonah, does he have his flaws? Absolutely. But they know him. They knew they were paying him this money going into the season, and, and they've already uh, allotted for that. And so I think he will start at right tackle if they don't take one early in the draft. I, I would say we have our answer by Friday, by end of round two. Maybe you could go around three. I just don't think that there's a starting level plug and play type offensive tackle that they would be that comfortable with in round three. So I think after the first two rounds, we're going to know how they feel about Jonah Williams. End of day, last question. If you were a betting man, and I know it's subject to change based on just some of these topics we've talked about. End of the day, hmm. the Bengals with 28 draft a, not a person, but they draft a what position in your opinion? Ooh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I think everything's pretty much still available and it has to be at 28, you know, within reason. Tight end, offensive line, defensive line, corner. Running back if, if Bijan's there. I think Jameer Gibbs, by the way, is a sneaky sleeper. Maybe a trade-down candidate. Maybe they love him enough for 28. It's it's interesting. I think I've hit on all of the, the positions. Does Kalijah Kansi fall to 28? Or does the NFL fall in love with him and he move up? I think he mm -hmm. would be the pick if he was there at 28, the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh. Yep. Uh, some of these cornerbacks could certainly be it. If, if I had to guess, I would still lean defense just in general because I think that's more likely to fall. I think Dalton Kincaid could be the pick, by the way. Everyone's talking about Michael Mayer, who's certainly in the running too. I think Dalton Kincaid could be the pick. But will they make it there? Will Kincaid make it to 28? Will Michael Mayer make it to 28? I don't think Darnell Washington is in the mix at 28. Maybe he is. Doesn't feel like it for me. So I would lean defense just based on how the board falls. But offense is certainly in play depending on who who is available and who gets taken in the first 27 picks. All right. James Rapine, you can uh, check him out. Locked on Bengals, his daily podcast, along with uh, all of his articles. Great stuff at Sports Illustrated. James, thank you for your time today, my friend. We much appreciate it. Of course. Appreciate you. All right. James Rapine. Good stuff there. Good conversation there. We'll follow that up right after this timeout. Ham and Eggers, here we go. Big Monday. It's that type of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me. I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Talked a lot about the Bengals right there, and that Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center. 
supporting both centralized and work from home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. I got them. Ladies and gentlemen, I got them. <clears throat> Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There is also a new premium alkaline water out, and it is Pawnee. Tastes fantastic. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, right here. Pawnee it uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that other many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. I was trying to stall to give you more time. Good for you. To see where you can buy this great tasting water again. That is P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com for Pawnee Water, wherever you want to buy it. Drink Pawnee Water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. And uh, for everyone that's here, like, subscribe, share the video. Uh, not the video, the uh, stream. Yep. Um, we're going to be hitting on a couple of other different topics, like the NBA, playoff, uh, playing games. We're going to talk a little bit more probably about... Um, just the MLB in general, Reds coming up. And um, one thing I, that we didn't really get to discuss a whole lot, and I thought it was just crazy, is this Ravens signing Odell Beckham Jr. for what they signed him for. $15 million guaranteed. That is ridiculous. I, I am... Especially I'm coming shocked. off an injury like that, and you don't really know what you're going to get. Yeah, He's getting a little it's, older. It's the same knee. It's, or it's the same ACL that they just surgically repaired. So it's been through two surgeries. They way overpaid him, Jordan. I agree with you. And it's, it's $15 million guaranteed. And then there's an extra $3 million on top of that. I don't know what the incentives are. So he's got $18 million potentially. Then you're, the question that I had, which I went and did a little research into it, was what are they doing if they want to sign Lamar or like try to potentially, you know, you know, match the offers? What are they going to do? That's a lot of money and it's all about the contract again. They probably have a lot of void years. You could have four void years in your contract. So you have your one year that you're playing and then an extra four on top of that that they're going to probably pay Odell Beckham over time. There's something around that. that. The details aren't quite out yet. But Defer, deferred, deferred money? No, it, it's just all that uh, signing bonus money or the I see what you mean. the yeah. roster bonus money. It's all pushed into void years. Got it. Years that he's not playing with the team after you know after this upcoming season. It was just crazy. I was just very shocked um, that they would even sign something like that, having a guy on your books that he might not even be playing for another. You know, you only sign him to play for one year and you have a bunch of void years for four years. He might not even be on the roster for another four years after this year. So it's just very crazy. I see a lot of people talking about just what the Bengals should do at 28. Um, should you pick a running back there? Should you pick a tight end there? Um, all of that is a very interesting dialogue to have. We've had it many times on the show. Um, but just to kind of recap, Tom, what it, I I know you asked James this, but I want you to say it for the viewers that might not know that just came to, to, to watch James here. 
what do you feel like the Bengals should do at 28? Because you you have kind of alluded that you think that the Bengals should maybe consider taking a running back at 28, right? I, I, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, I'm saying that, you know, I, I, I mean, like a lot of people out there are Bengals fans, probably you too, Casey and Paul. I mean, look, you, you, you kind of bounce around a lot, right? I mean, one day you kind of feel like, okay, uh, you know, I, I think Jonah Williams, if he's all in, and I got to know if he's all in. And, I mean, I don't know if you can really get a read on it at the end of the day. I got to find out if the guy's all in on playing right tackle. Now, he's always seemed like a team first guy, seems like a decent guy, decent kid, good kid. But, I mean, he clearly, I mean, it wasn't five minutes after the, the, the Bengals made that deal for Orlando Brown Jr. His agent sent it out. He wants out of here. Right? Right. Now, to me... That's not good PR strategy, okay? That's not, it's not good. It doesn't look good. It didn't look good. It still doesn't look good. But, you know, maybe he's had a month since then to kind of sit back and say, hey, now, you know, I want to be paid like a left tackle, but the bottom line is, is if I want a chance to win a Super Bowl this year, which they have a legitimate chance to do, I'm okay with going to right tackle. Where I struggle on the right tackle thing, and we talked about this before, I just asked myself the question, the Bengals people, Pollock, Taylor, Duke Tobin, they all know these guys inside and out. I just asked myself the question, whether you're talking about Dewan Jones or the kid from Oklahoma or the kid from Tennessee, whatever it might be. I just asked myself the question, if it's not going to be Jonah Williams, is whoever they pick going to be better potentially than Jackson Carmen? As a right tackle. Now, Carmen's not played right tackle. They had to move him over to left tackle yeah. after Williams got hurt. Okay? But I think we all agree he played pretty well. A lot better than he did at guard. I agree with that. Now he's giving you some red flags in the past yep. that make you wonder about him. Showed up as a rookie. He was heavy. Gets a chance to play. Doesn't play well. Loses his job to a rookie uh, at left guard going into camp this past year. Uh, but he does get the chance late, makes the most of it, plays very well. I mean, is Dewan Jones, and I don't know the answer, is he better than Carmen today, day one, for a team that plans on getting and winning the Super Bowl? Yeah. Are you starting a rookie right tackle there from day one if Williams isn't there? I don't know. And then I look at the defense, and I continue to ask the question. Are they better today than they were a year ago? Yeah, it's a tough. That's a. I feel like maybe they are comfortable on defense. I, you would sure hope they feel comfortable on defense, just you know, with all the moves that they made to try to fill in the holes that they lost from you know the draft last year. With uh, um, man, I'm drawing a blank on the kid's name that we drafted, but and then getting Nick Scott at safety to kind of replace him. And, you know, um, we re-signed Pratt so we didn't lose that starting linebacker there. I don't know, Tom. I, I don't think that the Bengals are worse. I think they're either right where they were last year or maybe a little better. But, yeah, I mean, that pick at 28, it it's very crazy because I feel like in years past, we had a pretty good idea of where they were going to go. Um, especially early on, like we knew Joe Burrow was probably the thing that they were going to do. 
we probably knew that it was either between Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase. And towards the end, we all kind of knew that they were leaning towards Jamar Chase. Then, you know, last year, we kind of just assumed it would be best player available on defense. And now this year, it's just kind of all over the place. We're thinking tight end, running back, tackle, best defensive player. Well, there's a lot of different opinions out there. It'll be really interesting to uh, get some more news. I know they're meeting with DeWan Jones. They're meeting with a lot of different guys. Um, you, the people here in the office know how I feel about Dwan Jones. I think he's um, a, a diamond in the rough just because he didn't test. I don't think that should be any reason to not take him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what, what I didn't ask you, Paul, sent for the new viewers in the in this chat, you're you're looking at offense, right? I I yeah, I, I will forever stand on the on the hill. I will I will die on the hill that I would rather have the the most elite offense than the most elite defense. I, I just will always die on that hill. I, I just think it, a a good offense will carry you farther in the long run than a good defense will. And I know that that's not always the case. Like I know good defenses win I, I get that i'm not I'm not denying that but i would much rather have an over-the-top elite plethora of options on offense than the other way around because i think if you have a serviceable enough defense and an elite offense you're just going to get the job done there yeah and really it boils down more to what are the bingle what is the bingles philosophy right like we want to be we want to have that as a strength and not be like too spread out and what the Bengals are, what their identity is. Um, and we've said on the show before, Tom, and I think you would agree with me that they've really have been a, a defensive team striving to be this offensive powerhouse when that's just not who they are. Um, but I think in the draft, my opinion is that they should get Dwan Jones. I think most people would say that that's a, a reach, but man, I just look at the tape. I see what he does, pass blocking, and I just, that's what we do more than 75% of the games is pass. And when the guy just is elite and dominant at doing that, man, it's really hard to pass up on. You know, I, 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 you know, in the chat, oftentimes it's brought up about the running back thing. And people keep saying, well, look at the Chiefs and look at the Eagles last year. Running back by committee. Has anybody stopped to look at the Eagles' rushing stats from last year? That's a lot of miles. Has anybody right? taken a look at those stats? Now, they're different than the Bengals because they have Jalen Hurts, who is a big-time running quarterback. He ran for almost 800 yards last year. But Miles Sanders ran for almost 1,300 yards last year. He averaged five yards a carry. Yeah. Five. So, don't you know, for the people that are out there saying, oh, look at the Eagles running back by go. I mean, come on. They had one guy rush for 1,300. They have a quarterback who rushes for 800. And they have two other guys who combined rush for 500 plus. That team last year ran for 2,500 yards. They averaged almost five yards per carry as a team. So don't tell me about the Eagles being a running back by committee team. 
you would have taken just the numbers alone of Miles Sanders. He rushed for almost 400 more yards than Mixon did. He rushed for more yards. Well, no, not more than P. Ryan because P. Ryan got a little bit of playing time and Mixon combined. So, you know, you want to say uh, the Chiefs, I'll buy that argument. It's a legitimate point. Pacheco, seventh round pick, I think he was, uh, came on strong at the end, freak athlete. Um, but look, I'm not going to devalue the running back position the way a lot of other people are. I think you have to have somebody who can get the job done back there for you and can hit some home runs for you on occasion. You know what I mean? Yeah. They haven't had a home run guy in a while. Yeah, they've got a lot of thumpers. As a yeah, player. they got some thumpers. But I think, you know, you could probably find that running back in the second round, third round. If I just, I just have a hard time understanding when I ask James the question. I mean, it just seems to me, and the Bengals, like he said, they know, right? They know. It just seems to me that if you're thinking about bringing Mixon back, look, you, you know, you've got, you've got a couple of different um, uh, parts to this whole Mixon thing. You've got the legal question. Now, I got to believe that somehow, some way, through back channels, whatever it might be, the Bengals are going to have a very good read from somebody with a Cincinnati, either the prosecutor's office or the Hamilton County prosecutor's office or the Cincinnati police or the sheriff's office, whatever it might be. On, on where they think this mixing thing's really going to end up. I mean, was there a third party that all of a sudden, you know, uh, heard what happened, really saw what happened, knew what happened that prompted him pulling the gun out, allegedly threatening this woman in a road raid uh, kind of thing, it sounds like. Um, so you got the legal part, okay? If the guy... You know, they throw the book at him. It's a misdemeanor, but it could be some time in jail. He's not going to go to jail. The guy has no record. Uh, he did punch a woman in Oklahoma, but there, there's no record. He's not going to jail. But you got the legal part. You've got the football part, okay? Where do you think he is? Where do you think he is skill-wise? Has he declined? You know, is a better offensive line going to help him? Can he help us win? Do we want him around? Good team guy, locker room guy. Um, so... It just seems to me that if they've gotten some direction on legally where they think this is going, let's just assume for a second that, you know, nothing bad at the end of the day is going to happen to the guy, okay? That you would be having the conversation. I didn't agree with James at all on the Andy Dalton uh, analogy to uh, Mixon. I think they're very different, very different things here. They knew they were going to draft Mixon. And they knew they weren't going to have Andy Dalton. That was just a procedural thing so they could free up the $17 million. Right? Right. Mixon's a different deal. Because you don't know who's going to replace it. They knew who was going to replace Dalton. And they knew that was the direction of the franchise and he was going to become a face of the franchise if he turned out to be the kind of player that he's turned out to be, he being Burrow. I mean, it just seems to me that I'd be having a conversation with Mixon's people right now to gauge what his interest is at staying here for a lesser dollar amount. Because even if Mixon were to agree, let's just say he agreed to take $6 million instead of 10 
He's not getting six million from somebody else. At least not at the June first deadline. Definitely not. So, and I thought I had read recently where there was some little caveat or nugget in there uh, in the CBA where you get two situations where you can actually release a player early and still get that value amount of the $10 million. Am I wrong on that? I, I have not heard of that. I thought I read that somewhere. I mean, that, that would be very – if that were the case, then it just goes to show you that it isn't nearly the same as what, what you – you know, it would help back your opinion up, right? Because they would have already done it. You know, they would have already shipped him out and got that money and, you know, spent it somewhere else. But, yeah, I mean, I think it is two different situations because I don't know who's going to back him up or who's going to replace him. Um, you know, I, I'm i in the camp that they could find any guy to replace him as long as they fixed the O-line in a way that, you know, the reason why the Chiefs and the Eagles can do what they do is because they have excellent offensive lines. You don't have to have this excellent running back to, you know, do what Mixon's done his whole career, you know? I think reasons like Chris McCaffrey having the season like he did before um, with the 49ers, that type of year, that explosive year again where he finally came back, I mean, that offensive line is awesome. Um, You know, I think, to me... If the Bengals can just figure out the offensive line, I think they can plug anyone back there. But if they don't fix it, if they continue to have Jonah Williams back there or they just, you know, have Jackson Carmen, which Jackson Carmen could work out. We, I think we're all high on him here. Yep. But at least after that postseason yeah. performance. Yeah. At least you saw him play and you didn't think to yourself, well, we're taking another five steps back. Right. I mean, I think, I think the Bengals – they have a really tough decision, just like you said, Tom. It's it's going to be really tough to cut a guy like Nixon, who's done so well in the past, had maybe a bit of a down year this year. But I don't know if, if people in the chat really understand, but it's really hard to gauge when a player is going to start really, you know, not performing the way that they used to. And especially at running back, it just seems like they fall right off a cliff, man. They just never – whether it's injury or they get too old or the team changes, running back position, it just seems like they hit a wall really hard every time. And it's so hard to predict when that happens. Some guys like, you know, Derrick Henry just seemed to last really long time. Um, Adrian Peterson just seemed to last a really long time, even through injury and all the stuff that he dealt with. But then there's guys like, you know, that just hit a wall and they're just not, they're not, you know, Mixon is not those guys either is what I'm saying. He's not a Derrick Henry. He's not a, no, he's not. He's not an Adrian Peterson. He's not these guys that just seem to lack. Elliot is a great example of a guy that just seemed like did really well for four years and then boom, hits a wall and he's just not the same. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. I, I won't lie. I think, 
The way that you go about doing it, though, is following the, the formula that's already been laid out there. The Chiefs have one of the best offensive lines in football. The Eagles, one of the best offensive lines in football. The 49ers, one of the best offensive lines in football. I can keep going. Those, all those teams that we were talking about before, even the Vikings, they had a pretty damn good offensive line this year. The only teams that didn't really manage to, to you know, be able to run the ball effectively and still have a really good team was the Bills and, quite frankly, the Bengals. I mean, that's because they have an insane passing attack. So, I don't know. Um, it's going to be tough for the Bengals to figure out what to do with Joe Mixon. Well, it's a, it, it, look, it's a, it, you know, it, it – uh... I, I just keep getting back to, and I've said it over and over, and, and to quote um, a wise man, it's starting to get tired. But I keep, I just keep saying over and over and over again, you're now plays away. You're not players away. Now you need players to make plays. But you're right there. You know, final four the last two years. And it's why, Paul, I think it's interesting when you bring up about offense, 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 because at the end of the day, the defense was good enough to win a Super Bowl. The defense was good enough to get to the Super Bowl each of the last two years. The defense was plenty good enough. And I allude to them, and people get bent out of shape on the chat, when I call them the Ballyhooed Bengals offense. All these stars... And they couldn't find a way in the Super Bowl, and they couldn't find a way last year in the AFC Championship game to get a single field goal in five or six possessions over the second half. And all they're doing is signing offensive guys. All right. Uh, we talked about the red legs, and a uh, four-and-four start. Kind enough to join us, I'm assuming, from Atlanta. I'm assuming that Bob Nightingale Jr. Uh, is uh, still with it. It's too early to be taking road trips off. It's the first road trip of the year. Bobby, how's everything down there in Atlanta? Has the rain ever stopped down there in Atlanta? It's actually warm here. Like, Philadelphia was freezing. So, glad that it's finally warm and baseball will be played without rain, rain delays this week. Uh, walk me through, uh, I know the small sample size, I get it, but I think most people going in on paper, they're saying the Reds are a disaster and they're never going to win 60 games and blah, blah, blah. You've heard it all before. They're four and four. What's sort of been your observations about the team through the first eight games this year? I think probably the most important thing is the three young starters they got, Lodolo, Green, and Ashcraft. Green hasn't had the results from his first two starts, but I think all three are a lot better than they were for most of last season, especially Lodolo. Um, he's been as dominant as any pitcher in baseball so far. So I think that's probably the one thing, like, they, they, they had to have something, that part go right in their rebuild. I mean, if you want to look for the Reds in the future to be a, a true playoff contender, those three have to be a part of it. They have to be healthy. They have to be pitching well. And I, I think all three, especially Lodolo and Ashcraft, have seen the results from their first couple of starts of the season, um, that, you know, those guys are taking steps forward. I think Green's pitched better than his numbers indicate. Um, you know, his fastball and slider uh, is still an elite pairing. So I, 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 I'm pretty bullish on those three going forward. 
Um, and, and hitting wise, I mean, they, they found ways to scrape across runs. They don't have the, the bangers in the lineup that they probably did a couple of years in the past couple of years. There's no Jesse Winker, no Eugenio Suarez, uh, but they're still finding ways to grind out runs, which um, is something they've really kind of had trouble doing probably since the last three, four seasons. So, uh, you know, that's been, that's been a positive for them. You know, Bobby, you, you talk about the offense for a minute. The first, uh, what would it have been? The first uh, five games of the year. And again, I understand it's only five games, but I mean, they, they were getting big time production. The bats really quieted down uh, over the weekend um, in Philadelphia. You know, when, when, when you talk to some of these guys and whether it's, you know, Friedel, who's all of a sudden, you know, becoming kind of a spark plug of the team, much has been made about Stevenson and India coming back and having a bounce back year and that kind of thing. Um, do, do, do some of these guys, not as much India and Stevenson, but, but, but for some of the others, Steer, Friedel, some of these guys, do they feel like, you know, that, that, that this is their sort of year to get their career on track. Does that make sense? You know where I'm going with this? Yeah, and I, I think you're right. Jonathan India actually mentioned it kind of right before the season started, saying, hey, you know, Joey and uh, Joey Votto and Will Myers are the only guys who really have been paid on this team. You know, it's a lot of guys who this is your chance to build a career for yourself. You're going to get playing time. Um, like, take a, take TJ Friedel, for example. He's, he's up and down in the minor leagues. Um, you know, kind of riding that shuttle between the Reds and the Louisville Bats last year, the year before, um, kind of viewed as a fourth outfielder. Now he earns a chance to be the starting center fielder with Nixon Zell out. And um, as you said, kind of the spark plug. I mean, he's hitting for power. He's making things happen with his bunting. Um, and it's just one of those, I, I, I think guys are looking at it, especially Steer starting every day at third base, um, you know, looking at themselves saying, okay, this, this is a time when I have to um, – you know, kind of carve out a career for myself. And I, I, I do think that's kind of a motivating factor for a lot of guys. Jake Fraley, too, um, he had a big series. They're a big hit yesterday against the Phillies. Another another guy who you look at it, okay, this is before before a lot of these prospects come up, um, you know, I'm going to get a ton of playing time. And um, if I can make the most out of it, you know, I'm going to be a part of this team for years to come. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of like getting guys in in the last year of a free agent deal. It's a different situation, very different in terms of, of accomplishments leading up to that free agent year. But I, I've always been a big fan of, of finding guys in a sport where the money is completely guaranteed. I mean, we talk about a football contract and a guy gets, you know, $11 million guaranteed over four years. These baseball players are getting guaranteed every penny no matter what. I, but I do think there's a lot to be said for finding guys who are hungry. And I think it's probably fair to say, you agree, Bobby, they have a lot of guys. We'll find out how good or bad they are, but they certainly are not uh, suffering from a lack of hunger on this team. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit on that. I mean, just saying, you know, guys that not last year free agent deals, you know, going into free agency, but guys like Brandon Drury, who was on a non-roster deal. You saw the success he had. Tyler Naquin a couple couple years ago, same thing. Jason Vossler um, was one of the last guys to make this team out of camp and look at the start he's having with um, Joey Votto injured to start the year. So, I mean, I, I think that that's true for a lot of these hitters and even pitchers. I mean, I, I, like Fernando Cruz was on the last legs of his career, made the, you know, made it to the major leagues last year and um, had a, has had an up and down start so far to the season, but um, you know, he, he's a guy that I think you can build around in the bullpen. Alex Young, the left-hander, has been really solid. He was a non-roster guy. 
Derek Laws, another guy who's kind of been floating around the minor leagues. Reds gave him a chance, and he's kind of ran with it. Um, so it's a lot of these guys. I mean, it, whether they're older guys and they've caught on with the Reds, and now it's kind of the last legs of their career, or it's young guys, um, you know, fighting to build a career for themselves and, you know, trying to earn true paychecks when once you get to free agency. Um, I, I think they have a good kind of clubhouse culture that um, everyone's kind of feeding off each other and create, creating kind of that competitive environment. Uh, walk me through, Bobby, and the fans about where the team is with some of its injured players. Um, let's start with Votto. Uh, I, I know he's down at AAA Louisville. W- when do you think we see him with a big league club? Any guess? I don't think it'll be this road trip, probably the weekend at the earliest. But he, he's really struggled. I mean, the, he struck, he's striking out a lot at Louisville. Um, I think it's more than half of his plate appearances at Louisville have been strikeouts. Uh, part of that, I think, is expected. You know, I, I think it's he's talked about kind of getting back to game speed. And um, as I talked to Trent Rosecrans from The Athletic um, this weekend saying it was, it was the right move to start in Louisville. And he, he, he would have lied to himself if he tried to come back and said he was ready. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, part of it is just testing out things and getting back to game speed is leading to the strikeouts. Um, but he wants to come back and be a contributing player. I mean, if, if he didn't, he would, I think he would have came back for opening day. So um, yeah, I, I think a big, a fast start is important to him. So I, I do think he might wait a little bit just to um, try to get up to more speed. But physically, I, I think he's pretty close to 100% healthy. It's just in terms of um, kind of going through spring training at real speed versus the spring he had was more playing catch up the first week of spring where he was versus being at, being at that last week of spring training and being ready for the season. They seem like they're in a little bit of a tricky spot. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you see it differently, um, with Sinzel. Because, look, we all know Sinzel, former top, you know, first-round draft pick out of Tennessee. They've changed in positions multiple times. He's gone through just a laundry list of injuries. Uh, and, again, uh, this year with the toe and, and trying to get going. Uh, not only of getting him healthy and up to the major league club, but then what to do with him, Bobby, once he gets to the major league club. Any guess on how that might play out for him? Yeah, I think they're going to use him as a utility guy. Uh, Just a guy who, on his rehab assignment right now, he's playing third base in center field. I I think in center field, you could see a platoon with him and TJ Friedel, Friedel's left-handed hitter, Senzel's right-handed hitter. Um, So I could see a natural split that way. Um, but I, I think there's going to be more pressure on him to hit this year. Um, you know, in the past, I think it's kind of been, you know, Senzel's going to start every day in center field. Got to find out what you have with him if he's healthy. Um, but, you know, when he was healthy last year, he played the second most games on the team. He, he didn't hit the way um, the Reds needed him to. So I, I, I think there's more pressure on that front. Uh, but I, I think there's ways to find to get him in the lineup regularly, even if you're moving him around positions. Maybe you play some corner outfield. Um, but him being a right-handed hitter, especially in the outfield where there's a ton of lefties, I, I think there's ways to find to get him in the lineup regularly, um, even if he might not be the everyday center fielder. You know, I, Bobby, I, I'm curious if you saw in spring training at all, because based on what I saw last year and nothing has changed in, in, in my observations of this year, India is not a second baseman. I mean, the guy is just not defensively. He is not a second baseman. And and you know what? In this day and age, I think it used to be before the shift. I think that you could could hide a second baseman when you were allowed to shift. 
You can hide a second baseman who is not a good defender. You can't hide that as much now with no shift. Uh, He's a good offensive player. I think the guy's a team leader. He seems like he cares. There are a lot of things to love about the guy. But do, do you think the Reds are even flirting with the idea of him changing positions? He started as a third baseman in college, and now he's gone to second base uh, in the big leagues. Yeah, I think it's one of those, if a, if a prospect pushes him off second base, that's the conversation they'll have at that time. Right now, he's the, you know kind of their best option for second base at the big league level. But say Matt McClain keeps hitting at AAA. Um, say Ellie De La Cruz comes up and Jose Barrero's hitting great at shortstop and they need a spot to put him. Maybe that's a conversation you have. I don't, I don't think there's anything actively – um, you know, trying to move India. But I could see long-term where um, he, he's a guy that could get shifted to the outfield just because you have so many in, middle infield prospects with the Reds. Um, at some point, you're going to have to try to find a way to fit all these guys, and um, especially Matt McClain, if, if he's not going to be um, a shortstop at the big league level, which he could be. Um, but second base is where he plays a lot of his time, too. And um, at, at some point, I, I think he's he's one of the more guys that I think is close to the big leagues than um, – you know, it's more polished than a lot of the other prospects they have. Yeah, but the thing that's interesting about that is, Bobby, and it's the last thing I'll ask you about, is, you know, you, you have Barrero, and everybody felt like spring training, he was you know really ready to play and all that kind of thing. And not, not a lot of games yet, so we'll see. But when he's not played, Newman has played very well, uh, very, very well, and has swung the bat. Um, you know, so do you sort of, you know, in the pecking order, if you decide Barrero's not the guy, are you then going to just leapfrog, say, Newman and go ahead and bump up McLean and just run him out there at shortstop regularly? I think eventually it's going to be prospects. I mean, I don't, I, obviously, I don't think Kevin Newman's your, like, your long term answer at shortstop, but I, I think he's a great stopgap until the prospects kind of force your hand. Um, you know, it's one of those, if McLean's hitting 300 in June um, and he forces his way up, that's a great thing. That's a great problem to have where um, you have too many short stops and you have to kind of find ways to fit everyone. If he's not hitting, I, I think Kevin Newman, he's played solid defense, uh, was a gold glove finalist a couple of years ago at shortstop. So um, a great guy to have there. And he hits really well against left-handed pitching. Uh, but I, I think it's one of those, I think the Reds are just going to take the wait and see, wait till the the L.A. De La Cruz, wait till the Matt McClain's are playing well enough to, to force your hand. All righty. Bobby, we thank you for taking the time. Three games in Atlanta, then you're right back at it. Heck, you don't have another off day. Maybe you do, but the team does not have another off day now until the 27th uh, of this month with three in Atlanta starting tonight, Philly coming back into town, Tampa Bay coming into town. Maybe they'll be like 15-0 and 0 by the time they get here. They, they don't lose, and they win every game by – four or five runs so we'll yeah. see <laughs> yeah they're amazing bobby thanks for your time my friend hope you had a happy easter and we'll catch up sometime soon i hope thank you yeah my pleasure thanks for having all righty bob nightingale jr on the reds beat three in hot Atlanta, boys paul you were down there I was. Now, before we get to mac mac engel who's coming up at 11 30 to talk about this whole uh, uh mavericks tanking thing yeah um this is the first time you have been with us yeah since your very first experience at the Masters, the stage is yours. 
Yeah, it was fantastic. It was great. It ended up being, um, I actually knew Adam Baum was on the trip, uh, the the former, now yep. former Xavier beat writer. Um, it was a Xavier guy that had asked me to go down there, and he had a spare ticket, and um, uh, I guess he had been taking somebody. They bailed. We kind of didn't really get into all of that, but um, Adam ended up being one of the other guys. He had two spare tickets. Adam got the other ticket. Um, so it was great, one, being down there with him because he and I are, are such good friends. And uh, and it, it was a great trip. The weather worked out fantastic because it, all week we were looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. It was going to rain. It was going to rain. It was going to rain. It was thunderstorms. And we were happy to even get to about noon on Friday. And then we were out there until 4.30. They blew the horn once at like a little past 3 o'clock. It was only delayed about 20 minutes. And then they brought all the golfers back out. So we were out there all day. We got there uh, probably 6.45. The gates opened at 7. We were one of the first people in the gates. We went into the shop, into the, into the pro shop. And I'm telling you, I've been in a lot of casinos I've never had an experience when you talk about a Vegas casino and you walk in and you say that you lose all concept of time and money. I've never experienced that more than when I went into this gift shop because you were elbow to elbow with people in a massive, massive room. And this isn't like a pop up. It's like a huge tech it, thing, right? No, it, no, this is a building okay, for the shop. Building. This, okay, this, all is, right. this is a, a shop that a building that is for the pro shop. And that's, that's what it is. It's not like a pop-up tent or something. This is a pro shop building. And as you might expect, they have it down to a science. They have lines and people and volunteers and everybody sure. everywhere. It, it is down to a science. But you are walking around this massive, massive space. And you're just bumping elbows with people. You can barely walk. And you don't know what time it is because you're not allowed to have your phone. And I didn't have a watch on. And you don't know really. Yeah, let me let me interrupt you there real quick because I was curious. My son and I were talking about this yesterday, and then I'll let you please continue yeah, yeah. in a second. When you say you don't have your phone, and I know they say you can't bring a phone onto the grounds, yeah. right? So you just leave it in the car. I they don't the... take it from you if you accidentally walk up there. They just tell you, "Hey, take it back to your car." No, if you get caught with a phone, you get kicked out and your badge is removed. Okay, but I'm, I'm so, saying though, they just say you don't even bring it in. No, so I, we all left it in the car. Okay, all right, we so all go left ahead. It in the You're car. In the if you do bring it up, because you can walk up to the gate and like take pictures of the gate and stuff, and then you can check your phone right okay, at the door. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Okay, if it wasn't gonna rain, if you knew that the weather all day was gonna be great, then you probably could do that. But we knew that whenever we got kicked out, it was probably gonna be because of, uh, or not kicked out, but like whenever right. we got, whenever right. we left, it was probably gonna be with fifty thousand other people. So we didn't want to be waiting for a yeah. long line of check yeah. phones in the pouring rain. So we just left it in the car. But yeah, if you get caught with it. Um, you get removed, and then potentially the person that you're there with, if you're the you know the guest of somebody or you know whatever, they might get removed too. You might not get asked back. It's a whole deal. Okay, so, you so just back leave, to your you uh, just leave in the your car. Pro shop so you're in the pro shop, and you don't have any concept of time, money, anything because you don't have a watch. You have no way to tell time, or at least I didn't. You could bring an Apple Watch if you wanted. And you also have to get everything so fast because it's all getting sold out that you, you're just grabbing and you're not really looking at the price tag. So I was trying real quick to, to look at the price tag to kind of have an idea of things, but you, you were grabbing and, and just all your plans go out the window. People are walking around with pieces of paper with stuff written on them, like a list of things to get. And it was, it was wild. And they have like 30 or 35 mannequins on the wall of the polos and the quarter zips and stuff. 
and you walk up and you say, I want a medium in 26 and 28 and 32. And then they just like kind of throw it at you and you put it straight in your bag and you just keep on walking. Keep rolling. You just keep rolling. And so it, it was crazy. I mean, I was in there for, I had no idea when I walked out, I had no idea if I was in there for 20 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes. And I think it was closer to an hour that I was in there. Wow. No, no concept of it. So did you get some big league stuff. I did. Okay, I got because your new nickname in the chat is BLP, <laughs> Big it, League Paul. So it was it was eighty nine dollars for a polo, a masters like a masters tech polo. Right. I didn't I didn't get like one quarter of the, zip thing. Yeah. Oh, a polo. Oh, sure. A polo. Okay. All right. Polo. Okay. It was eighty nine dollars for a polo. Uh, I got two. I got a quarter. The quarter zip was one hundred and ten. So I got two polos and a quarter zip, and I got some. I, what I really wanted with the, that they didn't have. What I was disappointed in was that they didn't have much dated stuff. Like I, I got an ornament, but it didn't say 2023 on it. If you know, if you know what I mean. I see. What you, well, it's timeless. It's a match. Yeah, a tradition yeah, it, like any other. Exactly. So, but I did get a pin flag uh, that, nice. that had you know Masters yeah. 2023. So, but, what was the but, experience like out on the course? Uh, yeah. So I, I think the I had a couple of a couple of takeaways. One, the the TV brain in my head kept thinking of how crazy the production of it was. Just seeing all of the the, the cameras and everything and the wiring and the microphones and the guys walking around and the and the the tripods and everything it was crazy I was just sitting there thinking as, as somebody that works on, on that side of it it's, it's crazy looking around and seeing what it takes to put that production on and the other thing like just from the tournament that you don't see and that it, it was so quick to you were so quick to realize was it was so small the the green when you watch the 18th green, when you're for your whole life, you're watching people win a championship put on 18th green. It looks so huge, and all the people are circled around it. It looks like this map. It is a tiny little green, and it's it's compact. It's right next to the ninth green. It's right next to the first tee. I mean, if you're standing in one spot, you're seeing the 10th tee, the 18th green, the ninth green, and the first tee all in. Well, you can see them all in one little tiny spot, and. It was it was remarkable to me how compact the size and scale of it all. I mean, the course was really hilly, and that was another thing I'd heard all week was how hilly it was. Yeah. I mean, I got to like two thirty, and I have bad feet anyway. But I got to like two thirty, and, and it, you were just you're beaten down. I mean, well, it, I mean, that's were, what Paul Doherty had said. Yeah, he, he went down there, whatever it was, twenty something years in a row, and he said that's the one thing he knows. Steve Flesh was on last week, said the same thing. Yeah, uh, and and no doubt between that and the weather. Uh, had to be why Tiger Woods pulled out. Oh yeah, I, I mean it was sad. Yeah. Did you see him at all? Yeah. So we we were on we were on the second hole. We were standing in the fair or the right along the fairway, and I was right along the rope, watched him tee off on two, and then walk down the fairway. And as he was walking toward us, I mean he was just hobbling. And this was in decent weather. This was you know mid seventies and sunny on Friday till it started to rain. And he's hobbling down the fairway. Yeah, and you sad. could you could tell. I mean, it, it wasn't like a kind of like maybe he pulled something on the team. He's trying to walk it out. I mean, it was a noticeable hobble all the way down. And you could hear the murmur as you're walking by everybody. You could hear everybody, all all the patrons, as they say. You could hear everybody going. I mean, there were people all over the course. As wild as it sounds, there were people all over going, man, I hope he doesn't make the cut for his sake. Because it, it was so hard for him to even just walk around. And then to see him on Friday or on Saturday in the cold and he could barely walk and everything. I mean, no, we weren't not surprised that he withdrew. Um, but I mean, we saw all the big, we saw, we stood on the 18th tee for probably an hour and a half 
and we were right along the rope and watched nice scotty dj all those guys i see on tv Colin Moore. so we were, right we were on the, the op- we were on the opposite side of the camera so if we were on the other side we'd have been right in the shot but we were on the op- we i just it didn't matter we were just we were on the other side but uh yeah it was it was a really it was a great experience i mean it was it was a lot of fun we we uh the the no phone thing was kind of wild because it, it took a little bit to you know you're you're sitting. There. I think it sounds fantastic. It was it was awesome. I mean, as somebody that like I'm I mean if you know me I'm I'm always on my phone but I'm sitting there thinking like oh I want to take a picture of this take a video with this I'm constantly right. tapping for my pocket to oh you know here comes Tiger here comes Scotty here comes whoever um, the the one thing I I will say and I know this is gonna sound kind of wild I'd never been to a golf tournament before. I know it's kind of wild that the Masters was my first experience, but I'd never been to a golf tournament. So genuinely, I did not realize outside of, I'd say, Scotty, John Rahm, and Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka, outside of those four guys, and a couple other guys too, but overall, they're small. Like the golfers themselves. I mean, Matt Fitzpatrick looked like he was 15 years old. Yep. Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas. Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley, all these guys. Victor Hovland. Yeah, they're not big Cam guys. Champ. Yep. I mean, these guys are tiny dudes. And I, I, did, I had no – I mean, when I'm standing five feet away from all of them, I had no appreciation for – I mean, it, it was and, – and then seeing, you know, how far they're driving, how far they're using their irons, all that stuff. Like Rory, we watched watch Rory tee off. It was we just just lucked out to be walking up to the 18th tee when all those groups were coming in. Spieth, all those guys, DJ, um, and they were they were small. Yeah, I mean, McElroy's got some guns, and you know, yeah, he, I mean they're they're no, big, know, but he's only like five nine or five yeah. ten or something. Yeah. I mean, I, and I I know that's that's coming from a place where I'm six three, so it's it's a little different from my end where like height wise, I'm just kind of you know, taller than these guys, not, not width wise, but height wise. But yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I think that was just my biggest takeaway was realizing just the size and scale of the whole thing. And, and we walked pretty much the whole course. No, no regrets as I would say. Amen. And we got everything in the, the one thing I would do if I go back is I would follow a group was we, we got to a point where we didn't know when the rain was going to come and we didn't have our phones to check the weather. So we were just running around all, no, we can't run. We were, we were walking around all over the place uh, just to see all the holes sure. and just see the course and get everything, get in as much as we could. Cause we we're like, if, if we get rained out at 1230, it's going to be, it's going to be over. Um, so I, I would have liked to have kind of followed a group yeah. a little longer and, uh, but other other than that, I mean, that's that's a very minor thing. It was just kind of we lucked into some of the groups that were coming in. But um, yeah, I mean, we sat for probably an hour, an hour and a half. We sat on Amen Corner on the grandstand and watched uh, the guys approach into eleven, tee off on the par three twelfth, and then tee off back on thirteen. So uh, it's Thomas, everyone's short to Paul. <laughs> uh, Did you see the? I, so I did not see the tree fall. We were on the course, but again, you don't have your phone, so you have no idea. Right. We were behind the 18th. Actually, I think we were getting a getting a the picture that got tweeted out uh, of the three of us. Um, there was it. You could walk back behind the par three course, and the the masters had set up a complimentary photo. It wasn't like a photo booth, but right down you could look down Magnolia Lane, 
and they gave you a complimentary picture of you in front of the clubhouse right there on the, in front of it. And I think that's when the tree fell was right when we were out there because we got back to the car and checked our phones and saw everything and sure. hadn't heard anything, didn't see it. So we weren't all that far from it, but didn't see it, didn't hear it, had no idea. But it, it was just so weird because you don't, the leaderboards, you have no idea what's going on around the course. Because at one point, I, you'd hear roars from all over the place. And, and I asked the guy that I was there with who had, had been before, I was like, how do, you, how do you know what's going on around the course? Because on, what, Saturday morning when they were finishing up the second round, I was sitting there thinking to myself, when Tiger uh, bogeyed, and he needed either Sun J.M. or Justin Thomas to bogey to then make the cut. I was sitting there thinking to myself, if I was still there, I would have no idea. You'd have no clue that that bogey from Justin Thomas was what got Tiger to make the cut. You know, when, when Justin shanks that drive, sure. you would have no idea that that was there as a, as a very uh, impactful moment for Tiger to make the cut. Well, that's just... where they're going to have to find some balance there between, you know, the, 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 the technology world we live in and, you know, I don't know if it's a matter of doing something more out on the course. I don't know. Golf is very hard to watch. In pr- I mean, that's a thing where it's a bucket list thing for you to go down to the Masters. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, I've been to multiple golf tournaments, and uh, it's a very hard sport to watch in person. It is. You have no yeah. feel for what's going on. Yeah, you can look up on a board and see a leaderboard, you know, and but you have no feel for what's going on. Um, it, 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 look, there are certain sports that are just better to watch in person and others that are better to watch on television. Golf is a made-for-TV sport. And the only leaderboard with every player on it is right by the first tee. Right. So when you're walking around, like I, I was sitting there in my head thinking about you know, the fantasy lineup that I had created for the week. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, where's Xander Shoffley? If he's not in the top 10, he's not on any of the leaderboards. So you're only seeing, if you're if you're with his group or whatever, you're seeing who's right. what the score is when they tee off on that hole. But if we're on the 11th hole and he's on the second hole, you have no clue. No idea. No clue what's no, going on. No. Um, which, I mean, there's good and bad in that. Yeah, because good and bad. as you're walking around, you, you feel like, oh, this is, you know, it's it's it was kind of cool to be detached. Felt like you were going back in time a little bit. Be detached well, from everything. Big League Paul is what they call him now on the chat. BLP. Hammond Eggers, take it away before we get to Mac Engel okay. from uh, Dallas to talk about your guy, Mark oh. Cuban. You're a guy. My guy? Mark Cuban. Yep. Shark You're tank. a guy. Talk him Ew. up. Ew. It's that type of the show, the ham and eggers. These guys are great. Trust me. I would know. I introduce all the best segments. The, the one last thing I will say, um, I mean, unless anybody else had anything in here, I didn't really look at the chat, but Everett asked how the concession stand was. Uh that I the, I will say I got a dollar in the jar. I got a million of those cups because that they did those cups were dated. They were little plastic cups. It's like a dollar or a dollar fifty for a lemonade. I think I had six or seven lemonades through the day, and you're just collecting the little plastic cups. Um, yeah, the concession stand. It was it was uh, everything was as efficient and uh, easy as everybody always talks about the only thing that was a nightmare was getting out it took us almost an hour to get out of the parking lot so it reminded me of your story from kansas city with arrowhead casey getting out of the parking lot um you can use that for the cherry on top 
when yep. we when we get there to that point. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think everything was efficient. Everything was. Oh, it had the Georgia the peach ice cream. It was great. It was it was overall it was great. I, I I can't complain about a thing. We lucked out with the weather. Um, player formerly known as Mouse Cop. I have not had a Baja Blast yet. I was waiting. I have been waiting. We are going to Taco Bell today. That wheel is only uh, Taco Bell. The wheel Sorry. only has no Taco Sonic. Bell on it today. No Sonic. Yeah, if you don't know, I uh, I gave up the Baja Blast for Lent, and today today it returns. So uh, Tom is, is coming back here in just a minute. We'll be joined by Mac Engel. And um, Casey, did you have anything else before we – get to Mac and, uh, and to everybody else? Uh, well, the one thing that I was going to ask during this was the tree thing. Cause I didn't know yeah, that, that, that watching that video is very like disturbing to me. Uh, it was, it yeah, disturbing. it was wild. And, and you had no idea. It just crazy. Had no idea. The fact that you didn't know and you were there, like we were, we were one hole away from it and had no idea. You think there would be, uh, well, I guess no one got hurt. It wasn't like no, but there was that video of the I, I, the lady looked like she got caught in between the two trees because she started right, saw the one falling, started left, saw the other falling, and then she just stayed and they fell down in the middle. Looked like a cartoon, like Bugs <laughs> Bunny was looking up and survived. That's yeah, crazy. crazy. All right, Mac Engel is in the house. He is. All right, uh, we were joined by Mac earlier this year when he was um, on the TCU beat, for lack of a better term. He has been. Um, Columnist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram for many, 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 many years. Uh, even though he looks so young and fit and healthy, it must be that clean Texas living down there. Mac, how are you, young man? How's everything? Uh, it's good. I can't complain unless you want me to. Then we'll fill up many segments. Uh, but everything's good. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to see you. Thank you. Now, you know, you got that. You're right there in Big 12 country. Uh, you got the KU, uh, you know, uh, pull over there. Uh, like I got to ask you, here in Cincinnati, as you know, uh, the University of Cincinnati is getting ready to join the Big 12 conference when, uh, when the fall begins in 2023. Uh, Bob Huggins, coach at West Virginia, used to be at UC, made the comment that uh, he actually, his, his quote was, he feels sorry for Cincinnati and Houston and some of these teams coming into this league. Um, Basketball-wise, going to be rough days, you think, for those teams coming in maybe outside of Houston? Uh, you know, do people in Cincinnati still like Bob Huggins? I mean, I know he was there for a long time. By and large, so I think I answer, most of them wish he was still here. Okay. Um, I don't know if I feel sorry for him. I mean, if you looked at what UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, and Houston have done, there's going to be a little bit of a gap. There is. There's always a catch-up gap when you go from one conference to the next, just about. Uh, I think they'll be fine. They will. They'll be fine. I mean, this first year is going to be a mess because there's going to be a thousand teams. But um, no, Tommy, I think they're going to be fine. I, I think if you look at their track record and now programs more than ever are basically two. They're basically junior pro, junior college programs. You're building two year teams, maybe. Um, so no, I, I don't think it's Houston's going to be fine. Cincinnati's going to be fine. UCF. You know, they've had good teams in the past. BYU is its own animal. 
Um, so I would imagine there'll be maybe a two-year window where they will be behind. But after that, they'll be fine. I mean, the reality of it is everybody – I mean, the one thing about this league absolutely blows me away. Even though you've got all these teams and they're all spending money and they're all good, everybody's looking up at Kansas still. Still. It's 20 years that they've been looking up at one team, which is kind of embarrassing in its own way. But I think in short order, the rest of those teams will be on the same level and they'll all kind of take turns at, you know, second, third, fourth, and fifth. I think it, it's a great league, and I would imagine with those teams coming in, it will continue to be a great league. Well, you know, the, the, the same thing I think holds true, uh, not necessarily having a team that everybody is looking up at, although you can make it, certainly make the argument Oklahoma has been that team in football. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, when, when you look at the football thing, I always like it at Mac and you tell me if I'm right or wrong on this thing, playing in the American, you see in football, fickle builds this thing up. They become this, you know, final four team a couple of years ago, et cetera, et cetera, builds it up into a great program, kind of picking up where Brian Kelly left off. Um, but they have layups over the course of the year in the American basketball there's no doubt I don't think there are any layups in football anymore I mean used to be you played Kansas might be a layup you used to be you played you know might be a layup now all of a sudden you know Cincinnati football is going to come in now they're not playing TCU this year but they're playing Oklahoma and, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're playing some of these teams where man you know over over uh 13 weeks 14 weeks depending how far you play into the season and into the postseason um it's going to be really interesting to see how a team like Cincinnati does in football because that's a sport they've hung their hat on lately. Uh, I think if you look at the teams that have moved, let's just take the last 20 years. So if you take Texas A&M when it went to the SEC, now it, it had a break because it caught lightning in a bottle with, you know, sort of a generational quarterback in Johnny Manziel. That, that was kind of an outlier. They still lost a couple of games, but, I mean, that was a great year. That, that – that first and second year, it was in the SEC, and it had Manziel. That was unlike anything anybody had expected. And if you if you can take him out of it, you would see how they've really done and adjusted to the SEC. Uh, Utah going to the Pac-12, TCU going to the Big 12. Um, if you look at all of them, Nebraska to the Big 10, it's all been kind of up and down. <clears throat> Utah's done exceptionally well. But it's going to take a little bit of time because the reason you just said there are no layups and then you've got to kind of catch up on recruiting. You have to go to their place to kind of see what that's about. They've got to come to your place to see what that's about. And, and then you sort of see where you fit in and where you need to get better to be competitive. And it's going to change a lot. Once Texas and Oklahoma leave, I mean, it's going to change this league a lot because it, they've been the identity of this league because they're your two big state power schools. Even though Texas hasn't been what it's supposed to be for more than 10 years now, it's still the signature team of the conference because of its size and tradition and all that. So I think, you know, what you're saying about Cincinnati is true because all of these teams now, all of these schools now are spending just so much money to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And now you have NIL that factors into it and collectives and all this other junk. So I, I think where Cincinnati, they're going to take a step back. You, they just will. It doesn't mean they can't eventually be where they were again. But if you look at teams that have made a jump, League-wise, uh, there's there's a bump, and then to me, the one that's done the best is Utah. 
and TCU's done very well too. But the one that I look at the, I'm like, Utah has just done an outstanding job, especially in football. Basketball's taken a bit of a hit. But when it comes to being competitive from one league to the next, Utah is sort of uh, the example of how it can be done. And I, I think if you look at where Cincinnati was back in the 90s or certainly when I was a kid in the 80s when they were totally irrelevant, to see where they are today is absolutely astounding. No question. Um, okay, I want to shift gears. Uh, Mac, we don't have an NBA team, as you know, here in Cincinnati. Uh, you've got one down there in your area in the Mavericks. Uh, they make the deal for Kyrie Irving. Uh, everybody's all excited. They proceed to lose 25 of their last 32 games, which brings us now to this final weekend. Well, you know, before I ask you about the weekend, because yeah. I think the first thing, there are, there are a lot of people that don't like Kyrie Irving. I mean, when he played for the Cavaliers, I thought he was an incredible player, great leader, incredible when it mattered in the finals, right? I mean, he was better yeah. than LeBron in the finals. But he's bounced around a lot, been some things that have gone on that some people disagree with, whatever it might be. Do you think – or how much of a factor do you think he played in them losing 25 out of 32? Is it fair to put a lot of the blame on him or no? Um – you got to put some of it. You do. I mean, they were they were thirty and twenty six when they got him, and they finished six games under five hundred after he came. He's an elite player. As a scorer, he's absolutely breathtaking, and he's got the ball in his hands a lot. So even though that roster was loaded with holes. I mean, just so poorly built. You know, they, they didn't acquire him to miss the playoffs, and they gave up quite a bit to get him. So I think in fairness to uh, that team, yeah, he has to shoulder some of it. I don't know if, it, if it's a disproportionate amount, but the bottom line is you know, you've got two guys on that team who make the bulk of the money. Uh, you know, there's only five guys on the floor at the same time. And those two guys should share some of that responsibility for what is by far and away the most disappointing season by any NBA team in this year. There's, there's no question about it. They are. So he has to shoulder some of it. All of it? No. Some of it? Heck yeah. And, and I'm with you. I love watching him play in Cleveland. He's, fun, he's a fun player to watch. But as you know more than I do, if a team trades you and Brooklyn traded him, or if a team says, go beat great someplace else, there's a reason. And while Kyrie has not been a problem at all for this team, because he's only been here 20 games, um, I think you have to look at that track record and not be a little bit concerned about it. Nonetheless, I fully expect them to do everything in their power to sign him to a max deal this summer when he can become a free agent. All right, so now it brings <laughs> us to this final weekend. Um, Mark Cuban, one of the most outspoken, one of the most colorful, one of the most flamboyant <laughs> owners. I mean, and Lord knows you got a couple of them down there in yep. Big D already anyway. But, I mean, Cuban <laughs> is all over the place, right? Um, I mean, he's yelling at officials and you know, blah, blah, blah through the years. We've all seen him. And, you know, you got to love his fire, if nothing else. But that brings us to what happened this weekend when they still had a chance to make the playoffs. Walk us through how you see this whole thing with all of a sudden them deciding not to play players or limit players or whatever it might be 
and not even try to get in, or at least not try to get in with their best. How do you see the way this whole thing played out? Uh, well, I can't think of a time. You know, we'd seen it in baseball because I remember one time a White Sox team way back when, I think it had Albert Bell, was pretty good, and ownership decided to quit right before the trading deadline. And we, we'd never really seen anything like that, where a team that was pretty competitive, but that was the end of July, rather, because the trade deadline in Major League Baseball is the end of July. And we saw the White Sox say, you know what, forget it. We're just going to fire sale and move forward. Well, this is the last five days of the NBA's regular season. And last Wednesday, they host the Kings in Dallas. I went to the game. Mark Cuban, before the game, is on the floor and he's talking to local media. And he kind of covers every topic but climate change. Jason Kidd and Cuban both were invested in trying to win. The Mavs are trailing the Kings. Kings are going to the playoffs. Kings have a good team. Kings are playing a full lineup, even though they don't really need to play for anything. Kings are leading the fourth quarter. Kyrie Irving goes off, and the Mavericks come back to win the game to keep their play-in chances available. So at that point, Jason Kidd, the head coach, and Luka Doncic, they're all saying, hey, we still got a shot. We're going for it. Then sometime on Friday afternoon, this is the night after Oklahoma City wins at Utah. So Oklahoma City is the team Dallas is chasing. Oklahoma City wins, and then sometime Friday morning or sometime Friday afternoon, the Mavericks decide we have two games left. This is not worth it. Because if they win and they get in, then they probably are, then they are going to lose their lottery pick, which right now would be 10th. And that would go to the New York Knicks, which was the last piece of the trade a couple of years ago to get Chris Stapp's Porzingis, a trade that ultimately didn't work out because they shipped him to Washington last year. So the Mavericks decided, look, if we're going to get better, we got to take a step back. They tell Luka Doncic he didn't like it, but he understands. The only reason he plays Friday night is because it's Slovenian night and they let him play the first quarter. And after that, it was quitting time for the Mavericks. Now they're under investigation by the NBA because they basically tried to lose their last two games deliberately, which they did. They lost at home to the Bulls. Yesterday, they get blown out by a bad Spurs team by 20-some points. And now the Mavericks are, are going to get the lottery pick that they, they feel like they need. Kyrie Irving's a free agent. The roster's loaded with holes. A whole bunch of guys aren't coming back. But the bottom line is this. Their, their panic trade, which is what it was, they panicked for Kyrie Irving. It didn't work out. Now they've decided the only way we're going to really make a step forward is if we sort of maybe get a great player in the draft and we can move forward that way. And again, I said it earlier, there is no more disappointing team this season than the Dallas Mavericks. You've got two, two NBA All-Stars and you missed the playoffs, including one of whom is an all-world generational talent and they're going to be home beginning today. That's a disaster. All right, but, I, but but last thing I want to ask you, though, Mac, is, you know, uh, look, I don't know Mark Cuban. I mean, he's been extraordinarily successful. There's no question yeah. about that. But he's always sort of sold himself um, to players. I think this is safe to say. He's always sold players 
that I'm all in. I'm all about winning, man. I got your back no matter what. We're going to spend money on our practice facility. We're going to spend money on this new arena. We're going to spend money in the way we travel. We're going to do it all the right ways to win, win, win. Does his reputation because of this past weekend and his decision to not play these final two games to try and get in the playoffs, does his, the way people look at him change at all? That's a good question. <clears throat> I, I don't think so because I think it what it really does is reinforce the notion. And he, he alluded to it uh, Wednesday night on the floor with the media. Uh, I think it just reinforces the notion, much like Jerry Jones at the Cowboys, he's running the Mavericks. And you know what? He bought the Mavericks to run them. You know, a lot of owners just buy it and it's sort of a toy and they're a little bit involved. But Mark bought the Mavericks because he loves basketball and he wanted to run a basketball team, no different than Jerry Jones when he bought the Cowboys back in 88. He wanted to be involved in personnel and he is. And, you know, the results are, some are really good and some of them are really bad. Bottom line is this, Tom, they've never attracted a top tier free agent since he bought the team. Not one. There's a million theories why, but they haven't gotten one. Every player that they've acquired, a top tier player, has been through a draft or a trade. And Kyrie Irving, trade, Luka Doncic, draft night trade. I mean, go just go down the list. All of the free agents have said no. Why? I don't know. There's a million theories. There's no way to prove it. But the bottom line is still this. Mark Cuban is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He has a competent general manager, Nico Harrison. Pretty good coach and Jason Kidd, but Mark Cuban's still very involved. And even though he tried to take a step back and all that other stuff, if you listen to what he said last week about the, the free agent pursuit of Jalen Brunson and the way the roster was built, Mark Cuban's doing it. And he's unlike any other owner in the NBA, good or bad. But these results this season are terrible. And I, whether or not that changes these, these last five days, change the way people look at Mark. I don't think it really does. I think, Tom, it's more just more of the same. And they made a decision last summer to do the way things they did it. And it didn't, it was terrible. And now they're trying to scramble because now the fear is what does Luka Doncic want to do ultimately? Luka's not going anywhere for a little while. He made that clear yesterday. But you've got an, an all-world generational talent sitting on your roster and you're at home for the playoffs. That's pathetic. All right, Mac, we thank you for your time as always. I know you're wearing that Kansas stuff, but we're rooting uh, here in Cincinnati for the TCU Horned Frogs. My daughter was back for over the weekend, and uh, we're rooting for Sonny Dykes to get him rolling under this new quarterback, Chandler Morris. I don't know what he's all about. We're going to find out. Uh, they'll be competitive. They won't be good, as good as last season, but it was a hell of a season to follow last year. Obviously, we talked about it, but expect them to be competitive. All right, all right. Mac, thanks for your time, my friend. No, it was great seeing you, Tom. Thanks a lot. Matt Take Eagle, care. Kind enough to join us. Uh, great stuff. Really, really like him a lot. I, I find that very interesting, the whole Cuban thing. Yeah. Um, especially the part which I did not know. You guys follow it more closely than I do. I find that really interesting about never attracting a big-time free agent player. That is did you nice. know that? No, not until now. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised. You know, and especially when you consider some of the – and I'm not going down this road. I do from time to time. But especially when you consider the cost of living thing about going down in, in Dallas, right, and Fort Worth. I mean, it's, it's very cost-friendly compared to other huge metro areas, right? The tax situation is incredible, 
right? I mean, it's unbelievable. That's why Austin's booming. So too. it's why so many people move down there. Um, just move. Uh, they get out of California or they'll get out of wherever they are and they're going, all the companies are going to Florida and Texas because of taxes and the economy and cost of living and blah, 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 blah. You know, I would think that that would in and of itself uh, attract and Cuban is such a dynamic guy. Whether you like him or don't like him, he really is a dynamic guy. I'd be interested to hear some. I want, if we didn't have the time, I really wanted to ask him when he said there are a lot of theories behind why they haven't attracted them. It can't be living in Dallas-Fort Worth as a negative. Can't be that. First week of February, we sat here on this show. Kyrie got traded to the Mavericks. And I said, this Don't team, hurt yourself now. I said, this team is going straight, to use a word, to, to steal a phrase from Tom Brenneman, straight in the tank. <laughs> and boy, did they ever. The man just cannot stop being a cancer to every team he goes on. I was really hoping that that one wasn't going to be the case, too. I love Luka Doncic, and, you know, I, I hope that they figure something out because I'm not really a Mavericks fan. I'm more of a, a Doncic fan, and... The fact that those two don't get along, Kyrie and him, it's... They had a 90... When they traded for Kyrie Irving, the Mavericks, they had a 96% chance to make the postseason. They were a legit contender in the West. Well, you just heard him say it was was the biggest disappointment in the NBA. But unlike you guys, he says that Kyrie deserves some of the blame, but not all of the blame. And he sat there and said a second ago, when they were still vying for the playoffs, Irving single-handedly won a game for him on Wednesday night before they pl- pulled the plug. I mean, I'm putting more of the blame on Cuban than anything. Just for... I mean, you can't ever... Pre- well, I guess you could predict that Kyrie could blow up a team. But even if Kyrie didn't necessarily do it all himself and it was a combination of him and Doncic not performing well together... Um, Part of that's got to be your evaluation of your team and what it needs to succeed. And at the time, it's really you know it's really hard to tell what what the team needs. I I was praising him for the trade, but hindsight's twenty twenty. I guess I mean it's it's really hard to 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 predict something like this. Kyrie's a clown. Kyrie's a clown. All right, he, all right. You've already beat him down. <laughs> I tell you who I'm going to be down is Ronnie in the chat. Ronnie, do you really believe the Big Ten is coming after Cincinnati? There's no way anybody in their right mind believes that. No. Yeah. If the Big Ten wanted Cincinnati, Cincinnati would be in the Big Ten. Yeah. All they have to do is pick up the phone and call them. And I mean, Cincinnati would run to Columbus or run to Chicago, where the headquarters are of the Big Ten, to sign that deal. Yesterday. Okay, I, I have a question. I mean, come on. I got a question come for you. Come on. I got a question for you, Tom, about UC football. In 2010-2011, when Butler made the national championship game two years in a row with Brad Stevens, they basically rode that wave of momentum, and they got into the Big East, and they had a couple of decent years, but really since Brad left, Holtman, they made a Sweet 16 with Holtman, 
they really haven't done a whole lot since Brad left. In fact, they've had some really bad years. It's some terrible. They, Butler is going to be the new Georgetown and DePaul in the Big East. They are not going to be competitive. Is there a little, a little, just a little, because it's not, it's not the, it's not apples to apples because. Um, obviously Cincinnati has the history with basketball as, yep. as a, as a, the, the pedigree is there that it wasn't necessarily a Butler football wise though. The pedigree was not there until two or three years ago when they started to become competitive, they made the college football playoff. I mean, as we've said a million times, you, you bought season tickets for basketball at UC and you got football tickets. That's with right. Them. I was one of those guys. Yeah. So. Is there a little bit of that there with UC in the Big 12 and riding that wave and kind of catching lightning in a bottle for a couple of years with football and now they're going to get to the Big 12? Now, I know the Big 12 isn't the best conference in college football. It's pretty good, though. But it's pretty good. Pretty good. It's a Power 5 conference no for layups, a reason. No layups, as I like to say. I gauge a conference by layups. There are no layups. So I, I just I sit here and I wonder about UC's success on the football side and what you know prioritizing football, prioritizing basketball, however you want to say it, one way or the other. I just think it's kind of an interesting situation. I'm really I I, I do kind of agree that I don't think they're going to be as overwhelmed in basketball as I'm caught in the middle between what Max said and what Huggins said because I. I think that bringing in like UCF is going to have a little bit more of a cushion to it than like the Big 12 this year. Because if, if UCF had joined the Big 12 this year, that would have been disaster scenario. But now they have, now it's, it's not, and then especially once Texas and Oklahoma leave, it's going to be a lot different. So, one, what does the Big 12 look like when Texas and Oklahoma leave? And two, the, the football thing. It really intrigues me at Cincinnati, yep. especially now being around the city and following everything as closely as I have in the last six, seven years as, as Cincinnati football has, has risen back uh, or risen, not back, but risen to the top. Well, no, it was risen um, back because, you know, after Kelly left and you got Tuberville in here, I mean, you know, yeah. Mac Jones, I mean, or uh, why am I drawing a blank? Yeah. Uh, Jones uh, takes over after. Butch Jones. Yeah. Butch Jones takes over after uh, Kelly. And, you know, they, they stepped back and then really took a state. So, yeah, it was they back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I, I don't – I guess my question is more so, you know, when, when we're talking about catching lightning in a bottle off success and riding that wave of momentum into uh, the Big 12 or into a Power 5 conference. They were in a Power 5 conference before. They were in the Big East. They competed in the Big East at a high level when they were in the Big East the first time. Basketball. In basketball, yes. So, now having to parlay that with – basketball and football i think it's a really intriguing case study to me to see what's going to happen here with uc football over the next five to six i think years. they're going to be all right i really do well, I, I think they got great facilities they're they're building that permanent bubble down there now you know as mac pointed out people are spending money like nobody's spending more money right now than tcu i mean they've got a president down there who's an ohio guy who is all in on sports that doesn't mean they're going to go to the college football playoff every year. Those, guys. But I'll tell you, you know, I mean, um, UC's facilities are really strong. They're getting better by the day. Um, I'm a big Wes Miller guy. A lot of people are not. I think the guy knows what he's doing. You can't win without players. But They've he, not had players. But can he get those players? He'll get them. He'll find a way. I mean, his class coming in next year yeah, is really good. good. Probably yeah. got a lot of guys most people didn't think they would get. 
Yeah. Uh, James and Griffith and some of these guys. Yeah. I, I would bet they do well in the transfer portal. Now, they lost to Avonport, but they got the big guy from Temple. Yeah. Right? So, well, I mean, we'll see. That's a net positive. Right. Let's well, make I, yeah, it's a net positive. And I, and I think the guy knows what he's doing. I know a lot of people around here. I don't know anything about Satterfield. But I just know that there is a lot of good football in this area. And the strength of Luke Fickle's teams was recruiting this area. Now, the danger of joining the Big 12 is some of these schools now get a footprint in Ohio where they probably didn't have them before. But you get a footprint in Oklahoma and Texas and places like that that you didn't have before. So I think that, you know, um, I think UC is going to be all right in the long haul. Yeah. The short haul. And, Ronnie, I wasn't beating you up when you said that. I don't want you to feel that way at all. He came back and says, hey, I can dream. And, I look, everybody can dream. I think it's a great thing. Um, but I, I think UC is going to be fine. Uh, they, 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 it's, a, it's an outstanding academic school. They've got a lot of things going their way. They have a great reputation nationally. Their facilities, athletics-wise, is very, very good. So um, I think they're going to be all right. We'll see about this coming year. Their schedule's not ridiculous. I'm really fascinated. we got to get Scott Springer back on. I'd love to get Coach Satterfield on. He doesn't have the same agent as Sean Miller, does he? <laughs> Do you know, Casey? No, I have no idea. No idea. Well, if he has the same agent as Wes Miller or Darren Horn, who's a coach in Miami football? Good dude. What's his name? Chuck Chuck. His agent? Maybe. We got a shot. We'll see. Cherry on top. Cherry on top. Let's have it, men. This is great. Presented by UDF. We're going to get in the NBA playoffs a little bit tomorrow and get back to some more football stuff. In honor of um, John Rahm winning the Masters. So he tweeted this back in 2013. He got a fortune cookie from Panda Express. It said, your talents will be recognized and suitably rewarded. And he took a picture of it and he tweeted, I'm going to win the Masters. No kidding. And that was in 2013. How cool is that? Eight years, ten years later? Big fella. Big guy. Big man. Big man. But, boy, can he play. I mean, he was just steady as they come. I was very disappointed in Kepka's finish yesterday. He just wilted down the street. I mean, just couldn't do anything right. All right. Box lunch coming up. You don't even have the, the, the lunch buckets out. Oh, well. Must not be the working man's kind of box lunch today. No. Mm. No, big no lunch Must pass. be that, you know, big league Paul, East Coast elitist, Paul. stopping into Cincinnati, and Augusta, the flyover part of America. He's an elitist. Not you and I, Tom. I'm from no, Hamilton. No, we're rock solid, right, regular, we're... regular guys. Midwestern. Although, like I said, you're, you're, you're kind of um, a little of both. You got the, the Hamilton part. Sure. Rock solid, sure. right? But then you got the, you know, you got the, you know, private school thing going on over there. Just a good, I good mean, Big Catholic. League Paul Just... went to the private schools and high schools and in college. I went to a private school in college too. See, well then uh, again, uh, <laughs> Casey, guys like you and I, pal, we stick together. <laughs> we stick together, Tom. Public high school, right? Yep, public high public school. Public college, right? Yep. Right. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe me and Paul are elitists. Go to private school our whole Elitist. life. Yeah. Bluffton, Bluffton University, an elite institution of, of higher learning. It, there's no doubt about it. The Mennonites up there. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. And you are right there with them step for step, as is Paul, with the something-something country day of Virginia. Yeah, that was me. And the, um, <laughs> and the Xavier Musketeers. All right, what do you got on box? Let's look at a menu here today. What do you got going on? Well, we're going to talk about the Bengals a little bit because they, uh, there's been some, some news coming out. And we, got, we, we have one of our Chatterbox's own, Zim Hude, trying to drop uh, some, some, some bombs on Twitter, yep. alluding, alluding that maybe T. Higgins is going to be extended, so we'll get into that. Um, talk about the Odell Beckham signing for the Ravens. Then, I don't know about you, Tom. I'm a Cubs fan, but Nick Lodolo, he's a guy. He's him. He's, he looks very good. He's special. Looks very good. He's very, very good. So I tell you what, though, I'm a little, you know, I'm a little, I said at the beginning, I'm not putting all my chips on the table here by any means. But I got to tell you, I, I, um, to me, Green looks very, very average, if even that, through the first two games. And it's only two games, so I'm not going off the rails here. I know he throws the ball 105. Big deal. Big deal. That's for Twitter crap. Oh, 105. Did you get him out? Can you pitch long enough into a game to even qualify for a win? Can you get to the fifth inning without throwing 98 pitches in a game? Would it surprise you at all if four years down the line, maybe the Reds are competing for a playoff hunt, and Hunter Green is no longer a starter. Instead, he has moved to the bullpen to where he's more of an eighth inning, ninth inning guy because he has that bullpen stuff, 100-plus miles an hour, very well suited for, you know, high energy, eighth, ninth inning guys, not suited for a six-inning start. Could you see that in four years? See him move into the bullpen? It's a good question. I would say no. Um, my initial reaction would be, I mean, I want to kind of lean yes, but then I kind of say no because I know, you know, number one pick, they've invested a lot in him, all that kind of thing. They've built him up into this role, unlike Chapman when they brought him in. Now, he wasn't drafted, but he was signed and brought in, and everybody thought he was going to be all that. And they never gave the guy the chance to be a starter because they were ready to win now right. when Chapman got here. Mm -hmm. You know, they had, they had, they had the closer – um, I'm drawing a Francisco blank on Cordero. the court. Yeah, they had him, and, and, and but but to win, they needed Chapman and win now. They needed Chapman in the bullpen. The Reds are not in that position, and they're not going to be in the position. They're not going to be contenders next year. I don't think. I I don't think they're going to be contenders any. Not this year, not next year, maybe in two years. Yeah. Uh, another guy that, that they they'll be that better though if all those guys yeah. stay healthy for sure. It's hard to get worse, Tom. Well, that's true. Um, Raziel Iglesias came up as a starter. Yes, he did. And he was very sharp, but had similar problems. Couldn't get deep into the game. But he also had some arm problems. He did. Now, You're Green's right. already overcome um, Tommy John. Uh, he appears to be healthy. Good Lord willing, stays that way. Uh, I, I don't see them moving him for a while. But we'll see. And, and look, it's all the old adage, as you know, Reed. You know, it's like all this stuff we talk about with the Bengals or anything else. It's one thing to talk about getting rid of a guy, or in this case, moving a guy. Who are you replacing him with? Right. right. You got to fill the hole. You right. got to fill the void. That's right. Case, thank you. Paulie, BLP, Big League Paul.
<laughs> Are you on the show coming up? I am. All right. Box Lunch begins right now. Here we go. Box Lunch. <laughs> 